Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22, and let the Lord remind us of a solemn duty that we have that bears great reward. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, sanctify thy word. Thy word is truth. And may it be effectual to the bearing fruit in the lives of these people that we as parents and grandparents and great-grandparents might be faithful to discharge the duties that we have toward those children you have given us. They are the heritage of the Lord. They are His reward. And we want to deal with them honestly, faithfully, and in a way that would please Thee. Raise up a godly seed and save us from the pain and trouble of foolish children. Have mercy upon us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have a Father in Heaven that is a Father to us, and we have a Savior that was a Son to Mary and Joseph and honored and obeyed them. The Bible is not written without wisdom. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and it gives us advice, instruction, warnings, and duties about our children. We have babies Recently born in this church, babies born over the last few years, we have some expecting babies, and we have some expecting to expect babies in the future. Every one of our young people should be grounded and be fully committed in their hearts. I am going to train my children to fear the Lord and to be highly disciplined, highly responsible, godly children in this world. Whenever we go out in the world, we have an occasion to see the world's children. And I hope that you young people are nauseated, angered, and irritated by the world's children in on many respects because of their insolence, their laziness, their disrespect, their disobedience, the wickedness on the part of youth in our generation. We can take a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ by the way that we train our children. And may God bless us to do that. It was 1988, 18 years ago, when I preached 20-some messages on child training. I think it was a series that long. I am not going to do anything of the sort. You are welcome to get that long outline. I'll help you get it. And you're welcome to listen to those tapes from long ago. What I want to do is remind us, because... The Word of God is a book of reminding. The things that we are to know are few. The difficulty of doing them is great. Therefore, much needs to be done in the way of reminding. I hope that you saw last Sunday from 2 Peter chapter 1 that Peter said as long as he was alive in this tabernacle, he would not stop stirring up their pure minds by way of remembrance even in those subjects in which they were presently established. 
And I want to remind us of where we stand. The Bible addresses child training with a lot of detail. If you were to look at every verse in the Bible that deals directly or indirectly with child training, it has much to say. And we want to see what the Bible has to say about it. Here we have the commandment. This is not an option. We do not have children and let them default to their own hearts. We do not have children and turn the work over to someone else. When we have children, it is our job to train them. It does not say to raise them. We raise cabbages and we raise goats, but we train children. And there's a huge difference there. It is not enough to feed them, clothe them, bed them, and send them to school. We must train them in the fear of the Lord to be godly, righteous, sober children in an evil generation. Bible child training is a study of the Bible. We're not going to turn to the books of men. I was asked very recently, what's wrong with James Dobson? Well, let me tell you one of the things that's wrong with James Dobson. James Dobson doesn't have a clue about child training. Where do you want to start with James Dobson? In the 60s or 70s, he came out with a book that he thought was tough, and most Christians thought was tough, called Dare to Discipline. But neither James nor his toadies dared to discipline. James doesn't believe in discipline. James doesn't believe in hitting a child, in spanking a child, paddling a child, or beating a child. Whatever Bible word or your word you want to use as long as it conveys the Bible sense. Jimmy believes that if your child is disobeying you, you should grab him by his trapezoidus muscle and pinch it. Your trapezoidus is that muscle that runs from your neck down to your shoulder. You know, if you play football and you're a lineman, you don't have a neck because your trapezoidus is so big it runs from your shoulder to your ear. If you don't play football and you look like me, you're called a pencil neck because your trapezoidus isn't very big. But it's that muscle right here. Well, you just pinch that when they're bad. Well, the Bible doesn't say to pinch their trapezoidus. The Bible says to beat them on the back with a rod. I believe the Bible. Always have believed the Bible and believe it's quite effective. And I have a number of witnesses in this assembly that believes it's effective. Every man thinks his way of child training is the best because by nature we think our way is the best. We're in the book of Proverbs. Look at 16.2. Proverbs 16.2. Before this short series is out, I'll bring a few visual aids. I've done it once before, and it bore good fruit in this and other places, and I'll do it again just to help. I've heard some of these verses preached all my early life, and no one ever gave any meaning to them. No one ever wanted to talk about what a rod was. We all wondered. Everyone was sitting there wondering, what is it? What does it look like? How big should it be? There's answers. I know you children are excited. (laughs) Alex, you shook your head no. Look at Proverbs 16.2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. We think we've got it nailed down. We're doing okay. The way that we're approaching it is right. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. God comes after us in our spirit, and He's going to teach us from the Bible how we should train our children. You know what I want to accomplish today? 
we don't have very long. I'm not going to take very long. All I want to do is get you committed. I'm looking forward to the next two or three weeks because I want to train my children the Bible way. I want to give you the mandate from the God of heaven through His Bible that we're supposed to train children. What you should take out of this service is, when you go home, the rest of the day is not all yours. Part of the rest of the day is for your children, and you need to invest in them by training them to go in the way that they should go, not the way they want to go, so that when they are old, they will be and stay in that way. Invest in your children. I just want to convict you from the Word of God. Look at chapter 12. Chapter 12. Wise men will ignore their own ideas and say, whatever God says, that's what I'm going to do. I don't care what Benny Spock said in his little child care manual, which resulted in the, in the lascivious and disobedient generation that we presently have, or Jimmy Dobson, who wrote the companion volume called Dare to Discipline. They're both pagans. Go look at their educational accomplishments and where they got their ideas. Oh, I didn't finish on Jimmy. I was too nice to him to let him off the hook about the trapezoidus muscle. Jimmy believes that all children's problems can be solved and parent-to-child relationships can be solved by making sure you maximize their self-esteem. That's the last thing a child needs help with. They already esteem themselves the most important little monsters in the universe and everybody ought to cater to them. You're to strip them of self-esteem and make them esteem others as important or more important than themselves, then you teach true servants, which is what Jesus Christ wants us to instill in them. A child doesn't need one sentence on self-esteem. They are full of it. They are full from top to bottom. They are corrupt with it. That's why they think so highly of themselves and expect the world to revolve around them. Jimmy says that's the most important ingredient. No, it isn't the most important ingredient. We've got a society out there that's been catered to for the last 40 years on the grounds of self-esteem and self-love, and look what we've got. I won't even go down that road, but you know what we have. A rebellious, foolish, lazy, insolent generation. That's what Jimmy teaches. It is not the Bible. Let me tell you another one. Jimmy's effeminate. Jimmy would be cast out of a New Testament church because he's so effeminate. For those of you that have ever heard him on the radio, when he starts telling his little cute Girl Scout stories, if you're a man, your skin should crawl. He's effeminate. If his anatomy was checked, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Listen, that little storytelling did not come from this book. There's stories in this book. But the stories in this book are about children laying on a sidewalk with eagles and ravens of the valley plucking out their eyeballs. And that is totally different from Jimmy's little stories about walking through the flower garden with little Bobby. We are at war. That man calls himself a Christian, but he doesn't preach the Bible. The reason Jimmy Dobson is popular is because the Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Lutherans, and all the rest think he's just peachy, along with secular society think he's peachy. Because he has a secular education, he's a humanist psychologist, and that's what he presents. He wouldn't dare thunder from his radio programs with the Word of God. He'd be put off the air. He's approved at all levels. The presidents of our country love him. The Catholics love him. The Mormons love him. 
He was the number one supporter in the evangelical crowd of The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. He has no conscience when it comes to the Bible. Go read his background. Go read some works about Jimmy Dobson. He's a compromiser. And the reason I'm picking on him is because he has written books about child training that many Christian women think are like inspired. They look at him as the guru. He's no more a guru than Benny Spock, who had his own grandchildren committing suicide and on his deathbed had to admit the theories that I proposed in my child training manual are wrong. And that churches suggest, promote Jimmy Dobson as a child training instructor is heresy. This is what God says. And Jimmy does not say these things. Anyone that says anything contrary to this, let God be true, but every man a liar. Paul said, I don't care what they seem to be to other men. No man means a thing to me. What saith the Lord is what's important to me. And that's got to be our stand on the issue of child training. We have such a loose, undisciplined generation because of Jimmy. Once you break down the relationship of authority between parents and children, it starts to collapse everywhere else. And we have it collapse now because he got into the homes of Christians. I'm not done with them yet because the Lord just keeps giving me more verses and I'm not a word of faith preacher. I'm a word of God preacher. I'm not getting it here. The Bible warns us that in the last days the perilous times would come and false teachers would creep into houses and lead captive not the fathers but the mothers. Would lead captive silly women laden with sins full of divers' lusts Describing these women who don't like their role. The women that listen to Jimmy Dobson don't like their role because they know where Jimmy stands on marriage. They're an equal partner with their husband instead of the Bible-arranged relationship of the husband over the wife. So Jimmy creeps into the houses while the man goes off to work. He creeps in by his books. He creeps in by his CDs, videos, or radio programs. And the poor little woman is reprogrammed by Jimmy into secular humanism and psychological analysis of their children instead of the word of the Lord. You don't need to help their self-esteem. You need to help them esteem others. 99% of the problems that you can solve with drugs, I can solve with a rod. And I'll take a lot less time and save you a bunch of money. You'd be amazed at how cheap hickory dowels are at the local hardware. Thank you, Lord. The Lord is wonderful. You know, all of our parents understood this perfectly. All of our parents. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. Taught to the tune of a hickory stick. I wonder where they got that from. They didn't get it from Dare to Discipline. Jimmy undid all the discipline that our parents knew about. Brother Jeff and I enjoy Encyclopedia Britannica's revisionist efforts. If you go back about 60 years, 70 years, and look at an Encyclopedia Britannica, look up the entrance for a word called flogging. Flogging. Do they think beating's bad? Try flogging on for size. Do you know how the definition starts? 
flogging, the universal means of maintaining discipline in the military, schools, and home. Flogging. Now you can't even find an entry for it. Flogging. The universal means of maintaining discipline in the military, schools, and home. In the Bible was even better. The universal means of maintaining discipline in the military, the schools, the workplace, and the home. What does the Bible say? If you flogged your servant and he died in the spot, what happened to you? You lost your life because the Lord looked at that as you killed a man on the spot in rage. What if he survived till the next day? You were free. You could beat him to within an inch of his life. Ever heard that one before? Have you, have you heard that one before? Do you know what the Lord reasoned? He reasoned a slave, a servant, is a man's property. Nobody destroys his own property. If a man has to beat a servant so hard that's his own property to get him to do something, then he must be justified in beating him. But we're not talking about employment. Yes, the Bible has some radical ideas on employment. I'd love to drop them on the UAW. But it wouldn't matter because they're all fools and they've turned far away from the Word of God. Do you trust the Bible? Do you trust the Bible enough that no matter what it says, we're going to do it? Right. See, the Bible says that we already love ourselves and your children love themselves enough. You need to teach them how to love others. And I have found that so lacking in most children. They are so selfish. We want to raise a generation of servants that are always thinking about other people. What can I do for someone else instead of thinking about what I can do for myself? What would please them rather than what would please me? That's a godly child. And that takes a lot of work because by nature they only want what pleases them. And that's a good, that's a, that's a high goal of child training is to teach children to love, serve, and look out for the best interests of others. That's the Bible. But Jimmy and others want us to build their self-esteem. How do you build self-esteem? Give them anything they want. Tell them they've got wonderful ideas. Tell them they're precious. When they throw a brick through your window, tell them, look at the beautiful design that you created, Johnny. That's what I read in psychology when I took it in Psychology 101. It's called Summerhill, a radical approach to, to education. You can go read about it. That's how the world thinks. But you know, at some point along that spectrum, we have our own ideas of how things ought to be. Free expression in the home. I love the old rule that our parents had, and that is a child should be seen and not heard. There's a whole lot of wisdom in that. Why do we want to hear their frothing little foolish hearts until we ask for it? Because the Bible says whatever comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. You know, school is no more instruction, it's sharing. Johnny, what do you think the president ought to do? And they start to think that way in about the first grade. Children, what do you want to do about our vacation? Instead of a father being a leader of a family, the wife is subordinate and the supervisor while he's gone, the governor, if you will, training those children. 
You have got to learn. I'm going to take the Bible, and whatever God says, that's what I want to submit to. Do you know what the Lord has to say if you want to disagree? If any man will be ignorant, let him be ignorant. 1 Corinthians 14.38 Look at Malachi chapter 4. Can you find the last Bible, the last book in your Old Testament of the Bible? Malachi chapter 4. I want to remind you, today is just to get, let's, let's get reminded and renewed in our commitment to train our children. A number of you start school tomorrow. And that is only part of raising a child. You want to train a child in the fear of the Lord. And some of you are sending them to schools where some of that is done for you. If you don't send them to a school where some of that is done for you, you have to put forth more effort on your own. But we must train children in the fear of the Lord that they will trust the Bible and live their lives by the Bible. Malachi chapter 4, I, I want to emphasize, this is Elijah the prophet. This is, this is the prophecy of John the Baptist, and that's not what we're here for. It says in verse 6, He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And when the angel came and told Zacharias about John the Baptist, he, 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 fulfilled, he stated this prophecy, he quoted it to Zacharias and said, that the reason for this is to prepare a people ready for the Lord. A people prepared for the Lord, a godly seed, is where fathers and children are getting along well, and there's only one way to get along well. It's the Lord's way. That's not giving the children what they want. That's training the children to be what the Father wants. And what the Father wants is what God has told him to train for. You know that results don't prove a thing. You might see some worldly family that follows Benny or Jimmy, and they appear to you to have good children. But see, good children are not children that become Eagle Scouts. Good children are those that fear God, love Jesus Christ, and serve the people of God. That's a good child. It's not someone who gets all his merit badges, tying flies, and shooting rabbits. That's proof of nothing. Little hound dogs grow up to chase rabbits. But we have to train children to fear the Lord and to love Jesus Christ and to serve the people of God. The two commandments are the love of God and the love of neighbor. And that's what needs to be inculcated into our children from the earliest day. God's the most important. We always obey Him. And we always try to help and serve others. That boils it down to just two things. That's all you've got to do to teach your children. Jesus said the whole Bible hangs on those two commandments. Do your children know them both very well and practice them? That's our goal. You know, the Bible says there's the prosperity of fools. And God sends prosperity to fools to deceive them. Results don't mean anything. Moses got the right result when he struck the rock with a rod. Water came out of it, but that didn't prove he had done what was right in the sight of God. And Moses was judged for the rest of his life because he didn't speak to that rock like God told him to. Results are not how we measure what God wants us to do. The Word of God is how we do it. Amen. Can you crush your carnal mind? Can you say everything I've heard, everything I learned in child psychology, everything I've read from Jimmy, I'm going to wash it out. I want the Word of God. Can you do that? The Bible says, Chasten your child while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Now, you know what a woman will do when she hears a verse like that? Her little heart starts to go pitter-patter. Unless she's a jail. 
And we've got some jails in here. Some of you women, I'm glad you've got husbands to protect your children. But that's good. That's good. You know, a woman hears that in her little heart. When she hears a child hollering, you know what they sound like when you discipline them? You know, they sound like they got army ants all over their body just devouring them. And they're just howling because you know, they know. They know if they can give the right pitch and tone at the right volume, mommy will back off. I'm thankful for some of you women. I know that some of you women have husbands that are, that are laxer than you are. And hopefully before I get done, you'll be thankful that I'm going to emphasize the husband is the primary disciplinarian in the home. But can you crush the natural impulse? You mean I shouldn't listen to their crying? That's what it says. Let not thy soul spare for his crying because he's going to put up a howling storm. Won't he, Mom? <laughs> Paul, remember how you used to make fun of me when I'd come out of the bedroom? Because you would have heard me giving one great sob story to Mom. And I'd hear you. <laughs> we were good at it. We were lying to Mom. We were about to die. And she needed to back off. She didn't, usually. Oh, can you do that? That I'm not going to believe what my feelings say, what the world tells me, what false teachers in Christianity say. I want the Bible. I want the Bible. Well, you know what it says? Let not thy soul spare for his crying. Ignore the noise that comes from Johnny. Get him trained in the fear of the Lord and the fear of Daddy and the fear of Mommy. The Bible says if a child hits you or curses you, he's worthy of death. Do you believe that? Can you lay hold of that and say that's a fair law? I think that's very reasonable that a child that curses or hits his parents ought to die the death. Do you believe that? This is how we get our minds geared toward the Word of God. Now, that doesn't happen in our society, and we're not going to do it in our church. We're not going to have Friday night youth activities where we apply Old Testament religion to the training of our children. But are, are, is your mind made up to think that is fair? You know, in our society, what do you have to do to get the death penalty as a child? Kill all four grandparents and both parents in some cruel and heinous way? And do it on drugs. And do it as a hate crime, because you wrote a hate letter. And burn your school books. And kill a neighborhood kitten. That would do it. That'd push them over the limit, and they'd finally say capital punishment. But you know, God said all you had to do was curse your parent. He that curseth his father or mother, let him die the death. That's plain enough, isn't it? Right. He that setteth light by his father, cursed is everyone that setteth light by his father or his mother. This is the word of the Lord. Are you ready to take it and believe it? The Bible says that parents in general, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, have the right to withhold a child from marriage. In 1 Corinthians 7, a father can make a decision that his virgin daughter is not going to get married. Do you believe that a parent has that much authority? That's a lot of authority. Do you believe that according to Numbers chapter 30, a, a father can overrule a daughter's vow in serving God anytime he wants to when he hears that vow? And the girl is held blameless. That's the authority of God's Word. And these and hundreds more verses can be brought to bear, and I'm not going to bring them all to bear. What I want to establish is the authority and the duty that God has given us as parents to train our children. 
A child that fears the Lord and loves righteousness and serves others and is not selfish is a wonderful thing to have. We want that for our own pleasure. If you can't get motivated because God told you to do it, then get motivated because of the blessings that result. I hope there's no one in here in that category. I hope you're just saying that's icing on the cake of obeying God. Due to the generation in which we live, much of what Scripture says is going to sound terribly harsh, but it's only because of our generation. You know, they have signs around kids, you can't beat them. You know, it's, there's that red circle with a line through it, and it says, kids, you can't beat them. But what does the Bible say? You have to beat them. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. If thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die, but shall deliver his soul from hell. That verse is not a promise that when you beat your children, you're not going to kill them. That verse is a promise that if you'll beat your children, you can save them from an untimely death out there in the world by living the life of a fool. Right. Children, let me, take a, let me take a brief aside right here. We need a short break for, before we close up uh, in a few minutes. Do you, know what hap- do you know what you should know when your father disciplines you? When your father takes you aside and tells you that you've been wrong and he applies a few stripes to your back, do you know what you should know? That is the strongest proof that he loves you. If he does not do that, he does not love you. That is what God says. Because he is letting you go on in your foolishness to go out into the world as an adult and suffer for the rest of your life because you did not have a loving father that would train you to do what is right. Fathers, I'm doing some of your dirty work right now. Let's all go home and do our jobs. Children, when they do that, that is, you'll never know till you're a parent. But it is hard for a father to do it in a righteous way. And he's doing it because he's looking out for your best interest for the rest of your life. He would much rather come home and just have a happy old time with you. He would much rather take you to Toys R Us for a spending spree. Well... Maybe not really, but he would rather have a comfortable relationship with you than to have it interrupted by calling you aside, bringing up something that you've done wrong, and then chastening you for it. But do you know why he does it? Because he loves you and he fears God. He fears God and he loves you. He's doing it to save you from future trouble. If he doesn't do it, the rest of your life is going to be painful. You won't know how to relate to a husband if you're a girl. If you're a guy, you won't know how to relate to a man in the a boss on the job because you've never learned to submit to authority that's trained by a rod. And if he lets you go like that, your life will be miserable. You'll never get ahead in the job. You'll always be frustrated and angry. You'll think that men are mistreating you and not promoting you fast enough because you didn't learn discipline. It seems harsh. The world says, kids, you can't beat them. And you know, whenever, for me to even say that four-letter word, beat, I'll be perfectly honest with you, you know, there's a little bit of intrepidation even in me. I don't look like it, maybe, but there is, because I know that that word is no longer acceptable in our society. But it's acceptable to God, and I'm not going to stop preaching it. Right. You know, they can strap electrodes to me and electrocute me and blow my eyeballs out because I'm preaching something like this. Let them do it. 
This is the Word of God, and it's necessary if we're to have a generation of children that measure up to the praise that they received this past weekend. I'm so thankful for that. You will rejoice my heart. I'm not preaching this to get any of you in trouble. I'm preaching all this for your perfection. If rebellious and irreverent children were stoned in public, would that make it easier to hear sermons like this? You can't even imagine it. You cannot even imagine it. It would be wonderful. It would only happen a few times, and it would seriously cut down on the amount of insolence and disobedience by children to their parents if there were public stonings or beatings. As the Bible describes, if other, if other spheres of authority would apply their authority in their spheres, like in the employment world or in the military world or in the civil world of the government, if they would apply their authority that God gave them, it wouldn't be so hard to hear authority being applied at this level the way God gave it. This one is so important because it's the first authority your child meets with. Philip and Amy, the first authority that they will meet with is your rule over this child that you're about to have. The second one they're going to see is Amy's subordination to her husband. They come in with a blank slate. You fill that slate with the Word of God by your example. You are so much bigger than they are. There is a natural fear, respect, and reverence for you as parents. Just because they're so little and you're so big. And then you apply God. God made it that way. God could have arranged childbirth in any way conceivable. You could have picked your children off a tree. You could have had the right code on your ring to get the child that belongs to you. God could have done it any way. But He gives you that little tiny helpless child. And if you can look, a combination of love and training for that child will result in a perpetually de- devoted son or daughter. And that's what we want to learn. It's very exciting. It's not even that hard. It's not that difficult. God's gave every parent in here the advantages to be able to do it. He's given a manual on how to do it. Praise His great and glorious name. He hasn't left us in the dark. Experts claim there's no set pattern on how to train children, but the Bible says it has the way. We're going to trust the Bible. To train someone is to subject that person to discipline and instruction to form the character and develop the powers of that person. To subject to discipline and instruction to form the character and develop the powers of that person. We want to make you successful and prosperous in life. And most of that comes down to self-discipline. Self-discipline. You can start teaching a child self-discipline at a very early age. One of the most lacking things in our world is the lack of self-discipline. What's it called in the Bible? We went over it last Sunday. Temperance, it's called in the Bible. What else is it called in the Bible? It starts with M. Moderation, it's called in the Bible. The ability to rule yourself, rule your passions and say, now is not the time, I'll wait. I don't need that right now. I won't spend that money because I ought to save it. All the discipline that it takes to be, have a successful life can be, you can start to teach that at a very, very early age. Now, I'm getting a little more practical than I intended to, but I just want to give you an example. When you have a little tiny child that's six months old, and you put them in the little clip-on seat at the edge of your table, which we did, I loved those days. Because I would look around the table and see something that I knew would interest them. 
And I would take that thing and I would sit it within their arm's reach. And I would tap it and look right at them in the eye. And they would look at it and look at me and I'd say, no. They already knew that word for, by other means. No. No. And then we would go merrily on our way having a family conversation among everyone else at the table. And Daddy would be looking out of the corner of his eye and watching this little, pure, virtuous child as its little hand goes just like, just slips out. One centimeter per minute. And I'd wait till there was skin contact. And I would hit the table and roar. My children's loins would be loosed. I don't mean the one in the basket. I mean the other one sitting with me at the table. Ask any one of them after the service. I would ro- wouldn't even touch the child. I would just roar. This isn't, I don't have a verse for this. I'm just self-discipline. You know what? You want to really boil your life down to success or not? Serving the Lord? Serving an employer? Doing anything? Self-discipline. They wanted that thing because they'd been told they couldn't have it. You know, usually one event was all it took. One roar. And you know, that's a little, that's a six month old child. You can teach them that when daddy says no, don't touch that thing because some lion's gonna jump out of the forest and scare me to death. Self-discipline. I love eating supper together. You know, if a family ate together like they're supposed to, you have a wonderful opportunity to train your children every day. Does it say that in the Bible? Does it say that you're supposed to be trained them when thou sittest down in thine house? When thou gettest up in the morning? When thou layest down at night? And when thou walkest by the way in the car? You have an opportunity to tell them how to sit when they're very bored. It's very boring to ride in a car in the back seat with little brothers and sisters that are poking you and doing stuff like that. But it's a great opportunity to train children. Devotions is a wonderful time to train children. Let the little child that's having a problem sit next to daddy. And he can tell them to sit still and teach them how to sit still. It is self-discipline. Do all, all of you adults know that, don't you? That self-discipline is the most important part of life. Whether, it doesn't matter whether it's financial, whether it's getting along with your spouse, employment, eating, exercise, reading your Bible. You know what it all comes back to? Ruling your spirit. Ruling your spirit. And that needs to be taught. And it can be taught at a very early age. A mother can get a child, a mother can get a nursing child on her schedule in a couple of weeks. No problem. That's self-discipline. You're teaching them self-discipline at an early age. The world does not revolve around me. I have a wonderful world that will take care of me if I meet it on its terms. And that's what we all have to do every day of our lives. It says, back to Proverbs 22 and verse 6, 22 verse 6, train. It says train, not just to raise them, not just to feed them, clothe them, bed them, school them. It says to train them. And so when we look at the word, what does train mean? It means to subject to discipline and instruction to form their character and develop their powers or their ability for success. That's what we want to do. And what is success? Godliness with contentment is great gain. What is success? It's pleasing the Lord and growing in favor with God and men. Do your children conduct themselves in such a way that everyone loves having them around and knows that they are servants of the church? That's what we want to teach. The love of God, 
the love of others, and ruling their spirit. I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. You want just three things to teach your children? I know I said two a few minutes ago, but let me add a third. The love of God, the love of others, and ruling your spirit. Those are three things. And they're pretty easy to teach. God gives you the ability to do it, and He's given us the Word to tell us how. It says train up. We're to train them up. This describes the lengthy period from when God gives them to us as a helpless little seven or eight pound baby all the way up until they hit majority, they get married, and they have their own children to train. Train them up. In the way. You know, the Lord doesn't tell us every detail and every step of life. But He tells us the general way we should go. Love of God, love of neighbor, and ruling our spirit. He doesn't cover all the details, where you work, where you go to school, you know, how many meals you eat per day and how many calories you take in, and all the details. He doesn't say, train them up in the way they should go. Now, they're going to have a way they want to go. The kids at school are going to have a way they want your kids to go. The school teachers are going to have a way they want your kids to go. But you train them up in the way they should go, which is God's way. What does God want my child trained to do? What is the future for my child in God's estimation? You know, God doesn't care what career you have as long as you have one. God wants you to be loving Him, loving your neighbor, and ruling your spirit. And those are more important than what you end up doing. Train them up in the way they should go. To be godly, righteous, virtuous children. And when they are old, they will obey the training. That doesn't promise us that there won't be some difficult years in between where they're testing themselves, us, and and God Himself. It says when they are old, when He is old, He will not depart from it. And there's comfort in that. You know, when you look at that verse, think about what we have in the verse. We have a commandment, a promise, and a warning. The commandment, train your children. The promise, when they're old, they'll not depart from what you do when they're young. The warning, there may be some painful times in between. Wonderful verse. So short and so simple. Just like all of Solomon's Proverbs, but it's full of wisdom. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Don't think this is just Old Testament doctrine. This is true in both Testaments. Ephesians 6.4 And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is a commandment again. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Don't be so overbearing, harsh, hard, and unmerciful that you provoke them to wrath. Don't discourage them, as Colossians 3 would say. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is truly bringing up a child. Notice it doesn't say how many meals you feed them a day, what kind of clothes they wear, or what kind of a bed they have. It says in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, because that's what God cares about. That we instill in their souls a fear of God, a love of neighbor, and the ruling of ourselves. Those are the three most important things. And it's the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What does nurture mean? Breeding, upbringing, training, education. 
bring them up in the training and education of the Lord. What does admonish mean or admonition? To put in mind of duties. To counsel someone against wrong practices. To give authoritative or warning advice. To exhort, to warn. The nurture and admonition of the Lord. We are to teach our children, train them, instruct them, warn them, and press them to their duties that the Lord's given them. That is child training. They're going to grow up. You know, as long as you throw a little bit of food in front of them, they're going to grow up. But we want to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that's your job. And every child you have, every child you have is a holy obligation that you owe to God. You had the holy and honorable pleasure of making love with your wife. And from that came a child. And that child God has given you and He's given you duties toward that child. And may God find us faithful in training them. What does the verse say? Ephesians 6.4 And ye fathers. Now it started out with children. It didn't say boy children or girl children. It just said children. So it included both boy children and girl children. Does God know the word for parents? Why didn't He use the word for parents? Because the real trainer in a home is the father. And whenever we get out of order, we're going to have a family out of order. Something's going to happen. Something's going to break down unless we do it God's way. God knows the word for parents. He didn't choose to use the word for parents. He chose the word child. He didn't say, sons, obey your parents in the Lord. See, he knows the word parents and he has it right in context, but he uses children, meaning both boys and girls. But when he comes to the real instructor and trainer of children, it's the father. The father should provoke the greatest fear in the child. The father should show the greatest love toward that child. It's a different kind of love than mommy's tender little love that's momentary, emotional, and sentimental. A father's love should be looking at the whole horizon of that child's life. Mommy is usually enjoying the moment. This does not mean that mommies can't look ahead and care about their children's futures because they do. But that is a subordinate role to the father. And if we get out of order, we are going to lose God's blessing. God wants families oriented around the father where the father is the leader of the wife and the trainer of the children. And this is God's order. And it's when we do it this way that it works. And so women... You need to get behind your men, support them, agree with them. There cannot be disagreement in a home. If a child senses that mommy isn't behind the father, the trainer of the children, there's going to be conflict there. They will, that child will play you against each other. You know that. You've seen it. Don't let it happen. The warning here is to dads. And dads, I'm calling on all of you right now. And I'm calling on myself. It is our job to train our children. It is our job. We have to look ahead. We have to see the faults. We have to take the deep breath and go address something that we don't really want to address because it's painful to address it. But we've got to go address it and do it. Because God's given us the assignment. We can assign things to our wives while we're gone. We can assign things to our wives as subordinate governors to help take care of the children. But the primary responsibility and the ultimate responsibility are for fathers. God is seeking a godly seed, like I started with a few minutes ago, 
And do you know how we get that godly seed? We practice monogamous marriages, which we have in this church, and we train our children. When it says, fathers, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, if we tie that into Proverbs 22.6, and we have a father who has been committed to bringing those children up to majority, to adulthood in their life, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the training, the instruction, the reminding of duties in the Lord, we have a child that's going to stay in the way of the Lord the rest of his life. It's exciting. Do you have a little Johnny? Make sure you're training little Johnny. Do you have a little Abby? Trainer. It's a great it's a great privilege and it's a great blessing. The child is a blessing and a reward from God, but then to train them well. You know how many verses I could turn you to in Proverbs that says a wise son is such a blessing to his parents, but a foolish son is the calamity of his father and the grief of his mother. Lord, save us from all such children. Help us and guide us. Remind us and convict us. Those of you that want to get married, that pray for marriage all the time, marriage brings with it some responsibilities. Those responsibilities are not overwhelming. They're actually quite pleasant. If you do your job. To the degree... To the degree you come to learn God's standard for training children and you compromise it, you will suffer. Your children will suffer and their children will suffer. There are horrible consequences to playing with the full spectrum of what God's given us. And I, I, all, I'm take, all I'm doing today is asking you, when you walk out of here, remember, the day's not over. Invest some time for training in your children. Don't just worry about what you need to feed them. And they get to bed on time for school tomorrow. What have you trained them to love God, to love others, and to rule their spirits? And may God bless you to see the whole dimension. May I help give it to you from the Word of God. And may we not cheat. Every single parent in here that has children of age wish they could go back and expand that parental, fatherly responsibility back out to the full measure that God gave in the Bible, every one of us. Do you know why we preach in a subject like this? For those of you that have little children, or don't even have children yet, you do not have to make the mistakes of the parents that went before you. May God bless you to be faithful with the full dimension of what the Bible says about child training, and not lose any time or cost your children any disadvantage because you were not faithful to the whole counsel of God. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.